today on Divine Truth Podcast. Listen, you go after the Canaanites, you go after their gods, you allow your sons to marry their daughters. Here's what's going to happen. Your sons are not going to turn the hearts of those girls. Those girls are going to turn the hearts of your sons. Because they spend so much time dabbling with the world, and they spend so much time being taught the things of the world, and they dabble so much that their life just becomes a mirror image of the world. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter number 2, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's Word, if you would please stand. Philippians chapter number 2. And we're going to read our text once again, beginning in verse number 14. Philippians 2, beginning in verse number 14. This is the Word of God. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. This is the word of God. Father, we pray that you would make your word clear to us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Why is it, do you suppose, that believers think that they can dabble with the world and still be effective for God. And the Apostle Paul really has the most clear, most concise, last, really last and first word to say on the matter in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 where he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness. And this, folks, is in every area of the Christian life. And that the believer is to be set apart from the world. <laughs> and this is not being set apart just for the sake of being set apart. Paul says that we should strive and literally, really, really gives a command for us to be set apart from the world. Because listen, folks, you and I, as God's people, we have nothing in common with the world. The children of God, those people that are to be filled with the Spirit, those people that are to be guided by the Spirit, those people that are indwelt by the Spirit, those of us who are to be sanctified by the Spirit, we have nothing in common with those people in the world. Now that doesn't mean, folks, that we don't share similar interests. There are those people that are saved and those people that are unsaved They share common interests in all kinds of things. Cars, computers, whatever the case may be. That's not the point. Paul's point is is that you have no fellowship. You have nothing in common with the world to the degree of desiring to be like them in your spiritual condition. Paul further states in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 
and verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Because listen, church, here's what happens. And if you've been saved any length of time, you've raised children, you've seen grandchildren be raised, you have seen the fulfillment of the Word of God in full color. In Exodus chapter 34, beginning in verse 15, Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, God has given Israel an order here, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods. And then what happens, church? And make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. Let me tell you something, moms and dads. Let me tell you something, grandparents. There is absolutely no such thing biblically as evangelism dating. You do not date an unsaved person for the fact of bringing them into the church. It will not happen. It will not happen. I'm not going to say it's never going to happen. But I'm going to say it's in direct violation of what the Word of God says. And the Word of God is very clear to Israel here. That listen, you go after the Canaanites. You go after their gods. You allow your sons to marry their daughters. Here's what's going to happen. Your sons are not going to turn the hearts of those girls. Those girls are going to turn the hearts of your sons. Because they spend so much time dabbling with the world... And they spend so much time being taught the things of the world. And they dabble so much that their life just becomes a mirror image of the world. And let me tell you something. As each generation passes, the next generation will be all the more entrenched in the world. Deuteronomy chapter 7 beginning in verse 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy. Neither shalt thou take marriage with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Why? For they will turn away thy son from following me. That they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Let me ask you a question, church, and don't have, you don't have to answer this. You think about it this afternoon. Think about it the rest of the week. Why is it that we think as God's people we can do better than what the Word of God says? When the Word of God tells us not to go after the unsaved, not to have fellowship with the unsaved, don't allow your children to date unsaved, when the Word of God clearly states these things, why do we think we can improve on that? And everything be okay. Let me tell you something. You let your daughters go after marrying, uh, dating unsaved guys, and then you wonder why you've got a rebellious girl in your house. You let your son date an unsaved girl, and you wonder why you've got a rebellious son in your home that doesn't want anything to do with spirituality. I wonder why. The Word of God says that's exactly what's going to happen. And people sit in the church, and they allow that very thing to take place. Well, I can't choose my kids' friends. You better choose your kids' friends. God gave you the responsibility to choose your kids' friends. Because let me tell you something, they don't, and I don't mean any offense to you young people, it's just, sci- it's just science. Fall moms and dads, they don't have sense enough yet to be able to choose their friends. 
Scientifically, their brain hadn't developed enough to be able to make right choices. That's why they've got moms and dads. And that's why they, we've got the Word of God that clearly tells us, don't allow your children and yourself by application to go after those things, folks. Why? Again, I'll ask the same question that I asked at the beginning. Why do we think we can dabble with that stuff and we can come out unscathed? What does the proverb say? Can a man take fire in his, can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And what's the obvious, it's a rhetorical question, but what's the obvious answer, church? The answer is his clothes are going to get burned. You play with fire, you're going to get burned. Psalm 106, verse 35, but were mingled among the heathen and what? Learned their ways. In Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man. Why? And with a furious man thou shalt not go. And the next verse says, what will happen is you will learn his ways. Proverbs 22, 25, you will learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt what, church? Let me tell you something. You want your children to do a complete 180 in serving Christ, you let them hang around with unsaved people. You want to have a complete 180 in your spiritual life, then you dabble with the world. Because let me tell you something, Mom's age, we're just as guilty as our young people are. The problem with the young people is that we allow them to do it. We allow them to do it. I was a freshman in high school, and I was first brought in. I, this thing came to me full color, and I, and, I, and I still, Bonnie, to this day, can't wrap my brain around it. I played varsity football in high school, and uh, we had a team meeting one day. We, we, evidently, somebody had a rough week. And uh, we had a team meeting on Monday, and the assistant coach, the coach of the, the football team was the pastor of the church and went to a Christian school, and the assistant coach was an old, uh, retired uh, naval uh, officer. His name was Dan Richardson, loved the Lord. He looked at me one day in school, he said, Michael, I love Jesus, and I love the Lord. And during this team meeting, he got up and said a few words, and I'll never forget this. As he, as he stood up and was giving his talk, he asked everybody in this, asked all the team. He said, let me ask you boys a question. He said, who in this locker room has never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? A couple of hands went up. And the pastor was there. pastor of that church was sitting in that same locker room, that same meeting. Well, hands went up. And one of the hands that went up was a boy. His daughter was dating. And I said, well, he just didn't know. Six months later, his daughter is still dating that boy. And folks, listen, I remember as a freshman in high school, I couldn't wrap my brain around that because even at, even at 14 years old, I knew what the scripture said about being unequally yoked. And I never could wrap my brain around that. And I still can't wrap my brain around that. Why, uh, why we allow our young people to dabble in the things of the world? While we would be more upset... If our young people missed a worldly event versus missing church, it's okay to miss church, but don't miss that worldly event. So folks, listen, when we've got that mentality, something's wrong, isn't it? Something is dreadfully wrong when we've got that mentality. In fact, James said it this way. James puts it pretty pointed in James chapter 4, verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or enemy with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Listen, folks, you cannot ride the fence on this. You cannot ride the fence on this. You will either serve God or not. You cannot ride the fence on this. And so what we learn very clearly, church, is that God calls for us to be sanctified. We, learn in ver- we learned in verses 12 to 13 that sanctification is a dual work. It is both, it is both the work of man and that he is 100% involved and 100% responsible. And then we learned in verse 13 that it is also the work of God. That God is 100% involved and 100% responsible. And we learned in that passage that we are working out those things God has implanted in us. And as we approach this portion of the text, we learn, we're beginning to learn that there are some evidences of the fact that there's sanctification is going on in our life. And we saw last week that the first evidence of sanctification was in the evidence in our what, church? In our attitude. In our attitude. Where Paul says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. And remember what the word, Greek word for murmurings is? You ought to remember it. What is it, church? You probably butcher it, but it's okay. You got the idea. Gongusmos, right? It's exactly what this, what this, uh, complaining sounds like. Gongusmos. And it's that low tones. It's that low rumble that you speak because you're dissatisfied or, or you're discontent with what's going on. You know, Israel did this in wilderness. They began to murmur and they began to complain didn't they? And they began to murmur and complain because we don't have any bread or we don't have any water or, or this is not right or that is not right. And, and, and they looked at Moses and Aaron and they said, listen, we would have been better off to stay in Egypt. Really? Really? You would have been better off to have stayed a slave of the world versus a slave of Christ? Really? That's amazing. But that was Israel's attitude. I've actually had somebody tell me this one time. I would, listen, I didn't have all this trouble until I became a Christian. Maybe you thought it. Guess what? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. I tell people when I talk to them about salvation, you'll experience problems you never thought about before. Now, welcome to the family. Oh, good introduction, Pastor. Evidenced by our attitude is our sanctification. Number two, it's also evidenced by our actions. Evidenced by our attitude, evidenced by our action. With, when our attitude, listen church, when our attitude is sour, your actions will stink. I told you last week, attitude determines action. Outlook determines outcome. If your attitude is sour, then your actions will reflect the stink. When the attitude is right, The actions will be right. Look at what he says in verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now stop right there. The word that that appears there in verse 15 is what we call in Greek a henna clause. It's It's a purpose clause. Paul says, do all things in verse 14. Follow it with me. Paul says in verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputing, without murmuring and complaining, for this purpose, that ye may be. That ye may be what? Blameless and harmless. Now look at the word be there in the text. It's the word genomai, and it means to prove. 
Listen, church, what does our attitude of not gongusmots and what does our attitude of not complaining reflect? What does it prove? It is proves our blamelessness and our innocence. When we stop complaining and we allow the process of sanctification to work, we prove ourselves to be, by this text, we prove ourselves to be blameless and harmless. Because every believer is in the process of becoming more like Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so this process of sanctification that we've been talking about, this process includes us being blameless and us being innocent. Now, let's look at the word blameless there in verse 15. I want to explain this to you this morning. Because blameless there doesn't mean to be perfect. It doesn't mean to be perfect. But it does mean this. It does mean to be without fault. It does mean to be free of accusation. A believer's life is of such purity that no one can find fault of which to lay at their feet. Listen, church, not only must a Christian be pure, but purity must be seen. Though we, listen, though we reside in a body of sin, the believer should seek to be without moral and spiritual blemish. You say, Pastor, that's impossible. It's impossible to be without any moral or spiritual blemish. Notice this, what the scripture says about Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 and verse 6. They were both what? Righteous before who? That's pretty, that's pretty good testimony when you're righteous before God. When God himself says that you're righteous, that's a pretty good testimony. Walking, and here's how it was laid out. It just wasn't with something that was said. It was something that was proven by the walk. Here's how it was laid out. Walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord, what? Blameless. Blameless. But Zechariah was sinful, wasn't he? In fact, Zacharias was so simple that he doubted the words of the angel, right? When he said, You're going to, your son, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby. No, she's too old. She's too old. I can see me being a dad, but I can't see her being a mom. She's too old. And what did the angel say? You're not going to talk until the baby's child is born. So Zacharias was sinful. He doubted. But yet the Bible says he was blameless. It doesn't mean, folks, that we don't have our spiritual battles. It doesn't mean, church, that we don't have our shortcomings. But it means we keep short accounts with God. We keep our sins confessed. As God reveals things in our life that are wrong, we keep those things confessed before the Lord so that we remain blameless. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13, to the end he may establish your hearts, what? Unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Listen, church, the process of sanctification not only reveals itself in our attitude, but it also reveals itself in our actions. As the process is at work, we become more and more morally and spiritually without blemish, without blame. But then I want you to notice what else Paul says there in verse 15. He not only says that you do all things without murmurings and, dis, dis, murmurings and dis, 
disputings in order that you may prove yourself to be blameless. You know what? We get ourselves in a lot of trouble with our mouths, don't we? That's what Paul is saying. Because murmurings and disputings come from where? Comes from your mouth. And we get ourselves in a lot of trouble with our mouths that we're not careful. So Paul says, you prove yourself to be blameless by not murmuring, by not complaining. But not only does he use the word blameless, but he uses the word harmless. Or that could be translated innocent. And the word there, harmless or innocent, literally means to be unmixed with any foreign mixture. It was the term used, the same Greek term used for pure wine that was not mixed with water. It was used of metal that was not mixed with any type of alloy. Christ commands his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpent and harmless or innocent as doves. And the point, church, is this is that the Christian's life is to be unmixed with sin and evil. Listen, we're not going to be all that we can be for God when we allow things in our life to mix with the world. Christian purity must result in a complete sincerity of thought and character. And the only way, church, that Christians, that the believer will be blameless or free from guilt is to be unmixed with sin in their life. Because let me tell you something, you know as well as I do that I know no more guilty person than a Christian who's allowing sin to remain in their life. And yes, Christians can do that. Christians can remain for, can allow sin for a time to remain in their life. And I know no more guilty of a person. No more, un, no more person that has such a lack of joy as a Christian who's allowed sin to stay mixed into their life. And the reason why believers fail at working out what God has implanted, church, is because we fill our lives with so much mixture of evil that blamelessness and true sanctification are an impossibility. But only as we are blameless and unmixed with evil can we really truly prove ourselves to be. Verse 15, look at it again. What does he say? Sons of God. Sons of God. Listen, Paul didn't say that you're not a Christian unless you're blameless or innocent. He's, Paul says you prove the fact that you are sons of God and daughters of God by the fact that you are blameless and you're un, your life is unmixed with evil. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. I want, to know, I want you to notice a verse in 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 7. And the question that's always asked, that I've always thought about, why do you think it took so long for us to find out from Scripture that Lot was a Christian? Genesis was written in around 11, 11 or 14, 46 B.C. 2 Peter was written in A.D. 64. It's a long time. A long time. So why do we not read until 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, that Lot was a just man? Why do we not, why do we not read until 2 Peter chapter 2, thousands of years later, that Lot was actually a Christian? Why do you suppose such a lapse of time took place? Why do you, not, why do you suppose that Lot did not have a testimony for Christ? 
Because he did not prove himself to be righteous. He did not prove himself to be uh, innocent because he did not remain unmixed with the sins of the world. And listen, when you and I will not allow will not allow ourselves to remain unmixed by the sins of the world. What do you mean, Pastor, be unmixed? Listen, it's not, it's not rocket science. We should just not get involved with the things of the world, right? Just don't get involved with the things of the world. I tell people this all the time. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Living righteously is not a, is not a hard thing to understand. It's a more difficult thing to do, but it's not a hard thing to understand because you and I have the the teacher in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so what I tell people to do is, listen, you want to live righteous? You want to live holy? Then just do what you know to do to be the right thing. Right? Just do what you know to do is right. And the reason Lot was not known to be a righteous man for so long, as far as the canon of Scripture was concerned, was because he was not unmixed with the world. Why do you suppose that in Christianity, we've even had this discussion here, why do you suppose in Christianity one of the hottest debates in evangelicalism is whether King Saul was saved or not? Because he did not prove by his life to be righteous and innocent because he was not unmixed with the world. Folks, I know that I've harped on this a lot. But we can't live lives mixed with the world and think that we're going to be successful for the Lord. You can't dabble with the world and think that you're going to be effective for God. The process of sanctification is when we are without fault and unmixed with the world and sin. Those are the actions that will be proven by our attitude. But it also shows, again, it shows us in verse 15, it proves that we are sons of God. Because God's children are blameless and innocent. Folks, listen, you cannot escape the fact in Scripture that you cannot, listen to me very carefully, you cannot escape the fact in Scripture that you cannot be a believer and not have holiness in your life. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle with sin because I do, you will, and we all will. But if you are a born-again child of God, there will be holiness in your life. Paul is clear that you prove your blamelessness. You, play, you prove yourself to be sons of God. He says it right there in verse 15. You prove yourself to be sons of God by being blameless and by being unmixed with the world. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not a child of God. If you struggle with that, Paul is just saying that's how you prove that you are a child of God. By being unmixed with the world. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says... According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? So that I can live like I always lived? So that I can live in a state of lifelong carnality and the promise of heaven at the end? So that I can have fire insurance? Why did, he, why did he choose me to be saved? Those of you who are saved this morning, why did he choose you to be saved? That you may be what, church? Holy. Holy. Hagios, set apart. That's why you were saved. You were not saved to go to heaven. You were saved to be holy, church. Emmanuel Baptist Church needs to be a holy church, which means that its people need to be holy. That's why God saved us. And without blame before him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be what? Holy and without blemish. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you what, church? Holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? In Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you what? Faultless before his presence in his glory with exceeding joy. And in Titus chapter 2 verse 10, not poor learning, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live what? Soberly, righteously, and what? Godly in this present evil world. Folks, listen. What I want you to see by all these scriptures is that holiness in the life of the believer is not an option. The commandments that God gives us in his word are not the, the ten commandments, for example, in Exodus 20, are not the ten suggestions. They're the ten commandments. When God says to be holy in 1 Peter 1, be holy for I am holy, that's not a suggestion, church. That's a command. And how are we to be holy? Peter, God says, Peter quoting God from Leviticus, we are to be holy just as he is holy. Look what he says again in verse 15 of Philippians 2. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke without rebuke he said well pastor that seems like an insurmountable because people have talked about me anybody anybody here not had somebody talk about them i mean brother nathan as good of a man you are i'm sure there's somebody out there living under a rock somewhere that's talked about you like a dog if for no other reason they talk about us like a dog because we're christians if, that, if for no other reason, they do it because of that. And that's a good reason. And in fact, the word Jesus said that that's the reason why people talk about, about you, then happy are you. Listen, it's, it's, no, it's no joy if people talk about you because you're a jerk. Okay? But when people talk about you because you live for God, then that's what happens. The process, church, of sanctification is a work. The Christian will be above legitimate blame and criticism or censure. Again, there will always be people... Uh, in the world that will attempt to destroy the testimony of God's people through lies. There are those people in the world that do that, and unfortunately, less than spiritual people in the church have been known to do that. And unfortunately, there's less than spiritual people in the church that man are all but willing and ready to listen and accept the gossip and to further spread those lies. That's why the biblical standard for being a son of God or being proven to be a child of God is that you are without rebuke. And that standard, the standard of being without rebuke is something that is true in both, both the Old and New Testaments. Listen, here's the standard. If you want, you do me a favor. I'll make a deal with you, all right? You ready to make a deal? Monty Payne here, you ready to make a deal? Let's make a deal. I won't listen to people talk about you if you won't listen to people talk about me. Is that a deal? 
I don't care how much you like them. I don't care if they're family. They have no business talking about you. And they have no business talking about me. And it is a sad reality indeed when there are people in the church that are willing to listen and then spread it. Here's the standard, church. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. At the mouth of what? Or three. Deuteronomy 19, 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, for, for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Matthew 18, 16. But if he will not hear thee, take thee with take, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19, this applies to me. Against an elder received not, and Pastor James, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Don't you listen to gossip about your brother and sister in Christ when one person who's unspiritual and ungodly wants to flap their gums about somebody? Just to try to make them look bad, to make their sin look less deplorable. Because that's usually the way it is. They want to make their sin look a little better, so they usually try to cut down somebody else. Don't you find yourself listening to that? Because in the very, because of the very moment that, that you believe that that person is being talked about, is then therefore blameless, it's not blameless anymore. Let me tell you something, the church. The moment you listen to it, you become, un, you become unblameable or blameable. The very moment you listen to it, you become less than innocent. You become mixed with evil. And the standard of Scripture, unless you've got two or three credible eyewitnesses, that was the standard. Unless you've got two or three eyewitnesses, yes, I saw what happened, yes, I saw this, and they proved themselves to be credible, it's not even to be, even to be negotiated, whether it be me or whether it be you. I can tell you right now, promise you, I do not listen to gossip about my church family. I have, and that's no praise to me, that's my conviction. I have told more than one person out in the world to take their opinion and put it somewhere else, but I don't want to listen to it. And I won't listen to it about you all, any of you. Not only because that's what the Word of God says, but because I love you. And I'm not going to do that. Because my job as the elder, and my job as a senior pastor is to help build you up in spirituality, not tear you down because somebody wants to flap their chops about you. Again, Jude 24. We need to understand, the folks, that being with, uh, without rebuke is impossible for the believer on his own, isn't it? That's why we need, as Jude says, now unto him who is able to keep him from falling. And he is able to present you faultless. Listen, we are to be blameless, we are to be innocent, but we're only that way as God gives us the ability to be that way. And though believers are positionally blameless, we need to have that holy standard in our practice. But look at verse 15 again. Let's look at it. Do all things without gungusmas. Do all things without murmurings. Do all things without complaining. In order that, 
or for this purpose, that you may prove yourselves to be above criticism. And not mixed with the world. Sons of God, without rebuke, get this, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, church. And this is a description of the society in which believers live. This phrase is borrowed from Moses where he refers to the unfaithful and rebellious Israel as a people. In Deuteronomy 32.5, he called them a perverse and crooked generation. And the word crooked is the uh, Greek word skulios. It's, where it's, it's, that, it's that which means it's twisted, it's bent, it's unscrupulous, it's dishonest. It's the Greek word came to be the medical condition known as scoliosis, which involves an abnormal curvature or misalignment of the spine. It is used metaphorically of any, anything that deviates from a standard or norm. And in the scripture, it is often used of things that are morally and spiritually corrupt. For example, in Proverbs 21.8, the way, of a, the way of man is forward and strange, but as for the pure, his work is right. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 18, Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. Listen, church, you and I live in a crooked and perverse nation. How in the world do you and I think that we can effectively live for God and effectively work out what God has implanted in us, living in a crooked and perverse nation, if we will not be blameless and unmixed with the world. You say, Pastor, that may mean that I have to change some things in my life. Yeah, yeah, that does mean that. Yeah, that does mean that. That may mean you have to change some things in your life. It means that I may have to change some things in my life. But we need to take this seriously because these are the commandments of Scripture. That you need to be blameless and unmixed with the world while you're living in a crooked and perverse society. Acts chapter 2 verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now look at verse 15 again. That you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the middle of a crooked and perverse nation. I don't think any of us would debate the fact that we live in a twisted society. We live in a twisted society. We live in an unscrupulous society. We live in a bent society. We live in a perverse society. Listen, when I can't go into the public school and teach the Word of God, but a drag queen can come into a kindergarten class and read a story, we live in a crooked, twisted world. When we, as a society, are guilty of murder of millions, 17 million a year, unborn children, we live in a crooked and perverse society. When a man thinks he's a woman, we live in a crooked and perverse society. When a, when a woman gives up the natural use of a man, we live in a crooked and perverse society. When a man gives up the natural use of a woman, we live in a crooked and perverse society. 
When we have world, the world in the church, we live in a crooked and perverse society, and we're trying to make the church crooked and perverse. Listen, folks, this is a battle that you and I have got to be willing to fight. Men need to be men, right? You guys, you men need to act like men. And you ladies need to act like ladies. I'm not saying you don't, I'm just preaching. Okay? But men need to be men. Ladies need to be ladies. There's a difference in the sexes. This is not biology, but it's Bible. And when we blur that line, we live in a crooked and perverse society. But for the Christian, we must shine, he says in verse 15. We must shine as lights in the world. In order for believers to be able to live in a twisted and perverse society and to effectively carry out our mandate for the Lord, we must appear as lights. And the word lights there is the same word that we get in Greek for stars. Paul declares that the process of sanctification causes us to live in a crooked and perverse society as spiritual luminaires. Those of us who radiate God's truth in the midst of a dark universe. And the process of sanctification is being worked out and is being seen when God's people shine out in a twisted and perverse world and does not look like them. God's calling for believers is to be lights. And that does not begin in the New Testament. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And folks, listen, as shining lights, what does light do? Light exposes the evil. The stars dispel physical darkness, and so believers who are living in sanctification banish spiritual and moral darkness. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus Christ spoke of, of the world hating his people. In John 17, 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because why? They are not of the world. Does the world like you? If the world's, and I'm talk, not talking about you don't have friends that are unsaved. That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody, all of us have got friends that are unsaved. But I'm talking about does the world's system like you? There's a problem if the world's system likes you. I'm not saying you're not saved, but I'm saying you're not shining as lights in a dark and perverse and crooked society. John 17, 16, ye are not of the world. You get that, church? You are not of the world. But yet the Father didn't pray. Jesus didn't pray that the Father would take us out of the world. Christ did not pray that the Father would protect us from the presence of such hatred. He just prayed that the Father would keep us in the midst of that hatred. Verse 15, I pray not thou that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. And then verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And in verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made what, church? Perfect, mature, blameless, in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. 
Folks, listen to me. Living faithfully and purely in an abs- is an absolute prerequisite to for fulfilling the Lord's mandate to carry out His divine message. The way that believers live as children of God has a dramatic impact on how they influence the godless world around them. But I want you to note two principles. To live righteously without proclaiming gospel truth is ineffective. Okay? To live righteously without proclaiming gospel truth is ineffective. But the second principle is where most Christians find themselves. But to believe and proclaim what is right without right character is hypocritical. In order for Christians to really do the job God's called us to do, we must, verse 15 again, shine as lights in the world. Notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art called a Jew, and retest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. Okay, so you, 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 Paul tells the Jews... You put your trust in the law. You think that you're right with God because you're a Jew and you follow the law as well as you interpret the law. And knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art God of the blind, a light to them which are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish is really what you are. A teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Verse 21, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou, not, dost, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? And the rhetorical questions that Paul is giving the Jews are all yes. You teach people that they're not supposed to do these things the whole time you're doing them. You teach people they shouldn't steal, but you're stealing. You teach people they shouldn't commit adultery, but you're committing adultery. You're teaching people that they should abhor idols, but you're committing sacrilege. You make your boast in the law, but you're breaking the law and dishonoring God. For the name of God is blasting among the Gentiles through, look what he says, through you. Do you see that, folks? When you and I live hypocritically, when you and I do not live as lights in the world, God's name is blasphemed to the unsaved world because of us. When the world sees the church doing the same things that they do, God's name is blasphemed through us. When the world sees, hears you listen to the same stuff they listen to. Listen, church, when the world hears you use the same language that they do, you blaspheme the name of God. And those things should not even be counted among us. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 5. Now therefore what have I here? Saith the Lord that my people is taken away for naught. They that rule over them make them a to house, saith the Lord. And my name continually every day is blasphemed. God says the longer you're in the longer you're in captivity, you're in captivity because you're disobedience. And the longer you're in captivity, the more my name is blasting. Why? Because I guess God couldn't take care of his people. God made all these great promises, but I guess he can't take care of his people. Again, Zechariah, his prophecy spoke of Christ in Luke chapter 1, spoke of Christ as a light in darkness. 
John says in John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness did not understand it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ charged the disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, Ye are lights of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be a listen. If people know you're a Christian, you can't help but radiate the light of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light. Walk as children of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5, ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Listen, the moment you became a child of God, you traded the dark for the light. Now walk walk in the light so that you may fulfill verse 15, that you may shine in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were what? F.B. Meyer said this, <coughs> every one of us, every day, resembles Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made other men sin, or we are lifting other men into the light and peace and joy of God. No man liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself, but the life of everyone is telling upon an increasing number of mankind what a solemn responsibility it is to live. What's he saying? You teach people every day either to blaspheme the name of God or glorify the name of God by one, by one simple fact. Are you and I shining as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? quality of a believer's life, whether faithful and obedient or unfaithful and disobedient. That, listen, church, that is the platform of your testimony. And that's why, going back to the first point, that's why we should do all things without murmuring and complaining. John Calvin said this, God has enlightened you for this end, that the purity of your life may shine forth amidst that darkness, that his grace may appear the more illustrious one of the early church fathers said this we ought then to walk all the more cautiously as we know that we are living among the enemies of god is the evidence of sanctification at work in your life church is it evidenced by your attitude Do you do all things without murmuring and complaining? Have you gotten rid of those low tones of dissatisfaction and disapproval in your life? Is there evidence of sanctification in your life by your actions? Do you live free from the guilt of accusation? I mean, real accusation. Are you shining as stars, church, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? Or is, your life, or is your light so dull that you blend right in? Listen, folks. The people that you work with, 
If you have to tell them you're a Christian, there's a problem. There's a problem. The problem is, is that your light should show radiate should should so radiate amongst the darkness. They may not be able to put a word on it. They may even use the word strange. There's something weird about that fellow. There's something weird about that gal. There's something peculiar about him. That's what Peter says. We're a peculiar generation. Some of us more than others. But there's something odd about that. They, like, they may not be able to put their, they may not use the word Christian. But they ought to notice, so, folks, that something's different about you. And they should notice that there's something different about me. But they're not. If we just blend right in. Our light is so dull that our life just blends right into what everybody else is doing. What's the evidences of our sanctification? Number one, our attitude. If your attitude stinks, the second point will also stink, which is evidenced by your actions. Do you live blameless? Are you above real accusation? I'm not talking about the, the wagging of the tongues. I'm not talking about that. That goes on everywhere. We don't even pay that any mind. That just happens. I'm talking about the real accusations. The real stuff. Do you live free of the real stuff? Is your life unmixed by the things of the world? You who are living in a crooked and perverse world, all of which all of us are, are you shining as lights? Do you dispel the darkness? How are you doing? How are you doing in your actions? How are you doing in your attitude? Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you.